The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Exodus 19, we're going to pick it up in verse number 5. The Bible says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now notice it says the children of Israel. This is referring specifically to the nation of Israel. Verse number 7. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded. Verse number 8 says, And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Uh, If you are visiting with us today, we are currently in the middle of a series that we've simply entitled The New Covenant. It's a little bit of a different series for us as a church, and it really, our purpose in it is to help our church family really know how to biblically interpret different portions of the scripture. Uh, Right now in the world in which we live, there are a lot of people that are moving towards secularism. They're moving away from biblical Christianity, its biblical roots. And in the process of doing so, they are utilizing portions of Scripture, mainly in the Old Testament. And they're showing to America and the world Basically, they'll use these passages and they'll say, see, even Christians don't obey the Bible. And then they'll go to passages in Leviticus. uh, They'll go to passages in Exodus and passages that were specifically addressed to the nation of Israel. It was given to them. And so this part of this portion of the Bible is basically a history book that is telling us what happened in the history of the nation of Israel. But there are folks who will come along and they'll point to those passages of Scripture and say, see, Christians don't even obey their very own Bibles. Look, this is what the Bible says, you know, that you're not supposed to eat shrimp. It's a command that was given to the nation of Israel. But they misinterpret those types of passages and say, see, Christians just pick and choose which part portions of the Bible that they want to obey. And really, a lot of this stems from a false understanding of biblical interpretation, what we would call in seminary a bad hermeneutic. And I know that's a weird, big seminary word, but the word literally just means your philosophy or methodology for how you interpret the Word of God, the structure by which you use to interpret this book. And so there are portions of the Bible that are simply descriptive. They're just describing what was happening at this portion of time. It is not prescriptive. It's not telling you what you should do. It's just describing what was. And many portions found in the Old Testament are exactly that. They are simply descriptive. They are not prescriptive. And so the reason we're sharing this particular series is because I think it's really important 
for those of us who understand the gospel of God's grace, it's important for us to have a strong hermeneutical understanding. That is a strong biblical philosophy for how we interpret the word of God. We have said for years, the context of a passage helps us know the content of a passage. So this particular series, I, I'm, I've, been, I've been just real straightforward with you on. It is not the most entertaining series that we've ever done, all right? It's not the most inspirational series that we've ever done. It's not necessarily even the most captivating series that we've ever done. But I do believe it's really, really important to give us as Bible believers a right perspective on how to interpret the Word of God. And so that's why we're going through this series. I believe that once we really understand the Old Covenant, once we really understand what we're going to focus on in a few weeks, the New Covenant, it will give us a better opportunity. It'll give us a better potential to really understand, to experience and enjoy the deep, deep love of God that was made possible to us by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's a little bit of introduction. Let me take just a moment here and review for those of you who weren't here last week and set a proper foundation for where we're going to go this week as we focus in here on Exodus chapter number 19. First of all, I want to say this. Last week we zoned in on two types of relationships. We focused on covenant relationship and uh, we also focused on what we called contractual, or maybe even a better word, consumer relationships, all right? And so we talked a lot about what is a covenant relationship, and then we talked about what's a consumer type of relationship. And for those of you who were here last week, we focused on the reality that a consumer relationship is based and it is founded on what you can get out of the relationship. So the reason we would enter into a consumer relationship is because of what we want to get out of it. However, covenant relationship isn't motivated by that same source. A covenant relationship is founded, it is based on not what you can get from it, but what you can give to it. Anyone who would enter into a covenant relationship is focused on what they can give to that particular relationship. And so we understand there are covenant relationships. That's we get in and we're motivated by those relationships, by what we can give to them. There are consumer relationships. We enter into those relationships based on what we can get out of them. And we joked around last week, some of us have... Uh, consumer relationships with you know Costco and Comcast and these different places why we enter into relationships with those organizations for mainly what we can get out of them we notice that a covenant relationship is primarily founded and motivated by love generosity and commitment that's what motivates somebody into a covenant relationship love generosity a commitment to be extravagantly generous on this other person and commitment we made this statement and i wish i would have emphasized it a little bit better last week but that is simply this while a covenant is definitely more than a contract a contract's not motivated by love contract's not motivated by generosity a contract is not necessarily motivated by loyalty while a covenant is definitely more than a contract because there's love there's generosity there's loyalty interwoven within it i will say this a covenant is not less than a contract either. It's not less than a contract, all right? 
So last week, we were contrasting consumer-type relationships with this new covenant-type of relationship. And we spent the whole week trying to help us understand the difference between these two. So for those of you who were here, I know we kind of, that was, uh, we were emphasizing that a little bit. Let's dive in this week to really begin to unpack what is the old covenant. And that's where we're going to start today. What is it? We can't fully understand the new covenant We can't understand what it did, we can't understand its purpose, we can't understand its glory if we don't first understand what the old covenant was. And so we're going to spend some time today really just getting kind of nitty-gritty looking at what the old covenant is. You say, why is this important? For those of you who ever have ever shopped for maybe a diamond ring, maybe right before you're about to get married or something, oftentimes the jeweler would pull out that diamond And in order to help you to see the diamond more clearly, they often will use a black velvet cloth to put that diamond on. How many of you have ever seen a jeweler do this before? And the reason they do this is so the black velvet cloth, it gives a contrast by which you can see every nuance of that beautiful diamond. In much the same way, that is what the Old Covenant does. The Old Covenant is that black velvet that when we are going to shine and we, we place the new covenant diamond on top of it, when we next week start looking at what the new covenant is, it will give us a greater appreciation for the new covenant because this old covenant acts as a backdrop, a, a context for which we can view the new covenant. So we're going to dive into this today, and I hope by the time you leave you have a, a better understanding of what this old covenant was, what was its purpose, when did it end, so on and so forth. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse 16 says this, and I believe this is important. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's 2 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 16. I want you to see this here. All scripture... Now, some people might say, well, if you're going to talk about the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, are you you saying that the Old Testament is not Scripture? No. That is not what we're saying at all. The Bible is very clear that all Scripture is given, is by God. All of it is profitable. Old Testament is profitable. New Testament is profitable. It is all scripture and it is all profitable. However, to understand how it's profitable, we have to have the right biblical interpretation of it. If we are not interpreting it properly, it won't be profitable to us in the way that it needs to be. And so we need to understand this. What is the Old Covenant? Specifically, The Old Covenant is the Law of Moses. If you want to jot these things down, what is the Old Covenant? It is the Law or the Laws of Moses. All right, as you read here in um, Exodus chapter number 19, verse 5, he says, Now therefore, verse 5, God says, If ye will obey my voice indeed. And keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. Notice that phrase, this covenant. This is is the beginning of this old covenant. Some theologians refer to this as the uh, Mosaic 
covenant, all right? And this is the passage whereby God makes that covenant with Moses, not just Moses, through Moses to the children and nation of Israel, all right? And so I want you to see this specifically. What is it? Over the next four chapters from Exodus chapter 20, 21, 22, and 23, you're going to find that God gives these laws now to Moses. As you continue through the Pentateuch, uh, or what is sometimes referred to as the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, you'll find in the books of Leviticus that God now begins to give even more commands specifically to the nation of Israel. Very Several times it says this, to the nation of Israel, to my people, I will make thee a great nation. So we see that this old covenant consisted of about, I would say, over 350 things the nation of Israel were to abstain from. As you make your way through the Torah, you're going to find that God gave through Moses to the children of Israel, to the nation of Israel, 350 specific things that they were not to do as a nation. And then there were roughly about 250 things that God commanded for them to do, all right? And so 250, a little less than 250 things that the nation of Israel were supposed to do, 350 things that he tells them to abstain from. This relatively 613 laws, these things make up what is known as the, the law of Moses, what some people refer to as the old covenant with the nation of Israel. Now, this is where a lot of people get confused because your friends at work, I was talking to our teenagers here earlier this week, and they say even at their schools, their friends will go to this portion of the Bible and say, you guys don't even do any, hardly any of these 600 things. You call yourselves Christians? What in the world? You don't even obey your own Bible. You don't even believe your own Bible. Well, why is that? Let me ask you this. Me, personally, I am what the Bible would refer to as a Gentile, a non-Jew, all right? These commands, the law of Moses was specifically given not to Christians, but specifically they were given, who? To the nation of Israel. And this is very, very important to understand because you're going to go to your workplace and Somebody who knows just enough Bible to be dangerous is going to go to the book of Leviticus and be like, well, if you believe the Bible, then how come you're not doing this? You know, I saw you eat shrimp. You know, you're, you're wearing jeans with mixed fabrics in them. You don't even obey your own Bible. And you're going to be like, oh, I don't know. Maybe I'm not a Christian. You say, it's not that you're not a Christian. You, you, we haven't been taught how to rightly divide the word of truth. How to properly interpret Scripture. That's what hermeneutics is. It is the proper biblical interpretation of the Bible. And that's what, I, that's what this series really is about. I, I want you to be equipped to go to your workplaces. I want you to be able to, to be equipped to, to go to your unsaved relatives and to be able to say, hey, we, let's rightly interpret the Bible. Don't just pull things out of context, you know, kind of snap, snatch things from thin air and then all of a sudden, somehow in this kind of mixed match way, try to pretend that this has something to do with the Bible, where it has something to do with Christianity. It did have something to do with the 
story of redemption. It's the history of how we got the Messiah. It's a profitable thing. It's a good thing, and it is Scripture. But we need to know how to interpret each passage for what it is. The biggest question you ask when interpreting the Scripture is, who was this written to? Let me give you this for an example. Say my son Anderson and one of his buddies were playing in our backyard. And they're playing around, and as the father, as Anderson's father, I go to the backyard and I say, hey, buddy, I want you to go up and clean your room right now. All of a sudden, he's like, what if his buddy started getting real, like, nervous? <sighs> I, I, I guess I got to go clean my room. So he runs across the street, and he goes cleans his room. Would he, my son's buddy, would he have been misinterpreting what I said? Yes or no? Did I tell him to clean his room? Who was I telling to clean his room? My son. I'm his father. I was speaking directly to him. Now, if you just took the words, go clean your room, he could have, he could have believed, hey, I overheard that. He must be talking to me. I better go clean my room. I wasn't talking to him. The context would have shown that I was talking to someone different. I was talking to my child. This is what often happens in the Bible. For several hundred years, the Bible wasn't bound the way you have it. This is a beautiful thing, isn't it? That we can have all 66 books of the Bible all together just like this. Can I say for hundreds of years, we didn't have the Bible bound in this way. Now that all the Old Covenant, Old Testament is bound with all the New Covenant, New Testament aspects of Scripture, sometimes it can be confusing to the average person. Because we sit here thinking... Wait, all of it's for me as a Christian, and it is to some degree. It is a description, but not all of it is a prescription. You see what I'm saying here? Not everything was said to you as a New Testament believer in Christ, in the sense it's your to-do to-do. All right, where, if, if, where the Bible says, don't eat shrimp. Is that for you, or was that for the nation of Israel? When the Bible told you not to wear mixed fabrics, was that said, as, was the Heavenly Father saying that to the children of Israel, or was he saying that to you as a New Testament believer in Christ under the New Covenant? See, this is what we've got to learn to begin to grapple with, or we're going to get asked questions moving into a, a secular society, and we're going to throw up our hands and say, oh, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. And what was going to happen is because we can't answer these questions for our kids and for our grandkids, we're going to be like, oh, I, I don't really know. Or we'll do something even worse. We'll just pick and choose which ones we want to do and pick and choose which ones we don't want to do. And that's even more confusing because then you look like a hypocrite. When you don't have a theologically sound hermeneutic, a biblically appropriate way by which you interpret the word of God, a framework by which you read through the scriptures, a proper context of knowing who was this written to. Was this written to the nation of Israel or was this written to Christ's church? There are a lot of passages in the Bible that are written to his church, written to you. A whole lot. Written it is prescriptive to you. And then there are portions where you get to overhear, in a sense... What God the Heavenly Father was prescribing to someone else, the nation of Israel. 
And this is a very, very important distinction to make if you're going to rightly divide the word of truth. If you're going to properly be able to interpret the word of God. Because if you don't have this proper framework, then all you're going to be left with is either on the one, well, the Bible has a bunch of contradictions and it doesn't make any sense. and I'm out of here. That's one approach people have taken. The other approach people have taken is just pick and choose. Well, I know this verse, I, and they throw that verse out, and they pick this verse. I'll take that one, and it's like, a, it's like some type of buffet. I'm, that's not an intelligent process by which you need to be reading the scriptures. So what is the Old Covenant? Specifically, it is the 613 laws of Moses referred to as the Old Covenant. Now, the Old Covenant, it was built, because it is a covenant, it was built on love. God gave this covenant to his children of Israel because he loved them. In fact, he was going to be highly generous to them through this covenant that he made with the nation of Israel. He was committing himself within the confines of that covenant. He was committing and dedicating himself to them in this way. It is very much a covenant. It is very much founded on love. It is very much founded on loyalty. It's very much founded on generosity, God's generosity to his nation of Israel. However, as we're going to see, the old covenant has a strong contractual element to it. Notice in verse number five. The Bible says very clearly here in Exodus chapter number 19, verse five, you'll see this. He says, if you will obey my voice. And if you'll keep my covenant, then, you see the if, then, there is, a, there is a conditional element to this old covenant. In fact, you will see it a whole lot in the Old Testament. It's very predominant. If, then, if, then, it's based on love, God's love for his people. It's based on loyalty. It's based on his generosity. It's based on the fact of what he wants to give to them through the promised land. It is very much a covenant in the true sense of the word. But a covenant, while definitely more than just a contract, it is not less than a contract. And so as you move through the old covenant, you're going to see a whole lot of conditional elements to the old covenant, specifically, especially how one experiences it. So we see what is the old covenant? What was this t- uh, old covenant? And I, I will say this. As you read the Old Testament personally, the majority of the Old Testament is written under the umbrella of the Old Covenant. And so it's very, very important that as you are interpreting the Old Testament, that you are interpreting it to your mind in a way that understands this Old Covenant. If you try to understand the Old Testament without understanding old covenant versus new covenant, you are totally going to get a misinterpretation of scripture every single time. You're just gonna, you're just gonna, this, you, you'll come out with a mixed bag of theological nuts on what you actually believe. And when somebody asks you a question and kind of pinpoints, you're gonna be, you know, you, you might be able to come up with an answer that sounds good to you, but you're gonna really struggle on this thing. To make sense of the Old Covenant holistically, you must understand how the Old Covenant and how its relationship with the New Covenant 
works out. This is, this is super important to a whole lot of doctrinal understanding within the Word of God. This is highly, highly important to have a proper hermeneutic, a proper approach to biblical interpretation. It's so, so vital. So what is the Old Covenant? Question number two. Let's answer this next. Question number two. What was the Old Covenant for? That's a good question. I, I told you when we started, this is going to be highly academic going to be highly intellectual. I realize this sounds a little bit more like a seminary class than it does like a preaching service. I realize that. Toward the end of this series, it's going to become much more applicational. It's going to become much more personal. It's going to become much more devotional. But I have to lay a theological foundation that's strong and sturdy in order to be able to go where we need to go with this thing, all right? And this is, this is highly, highly important to kind of wade through all of this. One of the reasons I believe that the current church is struggling is because we want a bunch of fluff, we want a bunch of people tickling our ears, and we don't have the wherewithal just to kind of wade through some thick theological doctrinal truth. And I appreciate you being a church that's willing to kind of get in the thick of it. You want more than just pithy sayings and inspirational little quotes, you know. You want something deep. You want something strong, and that's, that's what we want to give you. And so we have series that lean more into this, and we have other series that lean a little bit, but all of it is the word of Christ, and I appreciate your willingness to kind of move through this with us. So question number two, who was the old covenant for? Okay, it's kind of a twofold answer. We're going to go, we're going to start moving. I hope you get your Bibles open. We'll put some of these on the screens, but I love just hearing pages turn, and I think that's a, just a, a great thing. So, number one, originally and specifically, the Old Covenant, the law of Moses, originally and specifically, was for the nation of Israel. This is very important for you to understand. Originally and specifically, the law of Moses was not necessarily for Christians in general, but specifically it was for this nation of Israel. All right, that's specifically what this is for. And when you begin to understand that as you're reading through Leviticus and you're reading through Exodus, these things like, what in the world? Ah, this doesn't make sense. And why? all of a sudden, if you read it through that paradigm, it's like, oh, it's a history. It's a history lesson. It's showing, it's, it's not prescribing what it is we're supposed to be. It's describing what was. You see the difference? It's a big difference between God prescribing and saying, this is what you should do and describing what happened. I think it's an important distinction to make in your biblical hermeneutics. So who was it for? Originally and specifically, the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses, very specifically, was for the nation of Israel. I want you to see this in your passage here. Notice what it says. Exodus chapter number 19. Notice it says here in verse number 6. It says, Ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Notice this. And a holy nation. He says, you're going to be a peculiar treasure, a peculiar people. And he talks to them as the children of Israel. He says specifically, I want you to understand that this, what I'm about to say, what I'm about to give you is given specifically to who? Was it given to the church specifically? Or was it given to the nation of Israel specifically? Which one? The nation of Israel specifically. I know this is a lot to wade through, but once we move through this, it will give you a perspective as you interpret the word of God that will be of immense help to you as you move through this, all right? Who is it for? Now, 
just to give you some historic context on some of this, you, you really have to understand, and this is something that a lot of our critics don't grapple with, people who are critical of the Bible, specifically Old Testament passages that seem a little bit confusing to them. One of the things that they often forget is God, he wasn't just going to do something spiritual through the nation of Israel, that he was. He was going to give us the Messiah. This is going to be incredible. Uh, Jesus, our Savior, was going to come through the lineage of the children of Israel, through the nation of Israel. God was literally going to bless the entire world through this nation. That's what he was going to do. Knowing that in his sovereignty and his wisdom, not only is he prepping that and preparing that, he is also doing something else. He is literally founding a nation. This is, I know this is kind of like, what does this have to do with anything? In these passages, God, through Moses, is literally starting a country. Now think about that on a very practical term in, all, in, in, in a practical way. Think of all the things you would have to talk about if you were starting a nation. How many of you have read history? You like reading history about our founding fathers and all that they went through to start our country, to to start our nation. There's a lot of details that go into it. There's a a, a lot of minutiae that had to be taken care of. There was a lot of things that had to be done. Can I say this? One of the things that we have to understand as we're moving through these passages is we've got to understand a lot of it is God just starting a nation. He's setting up a government. There are elements of this that are just practical. They they don't necessarily even have spiritual implications to the degree that they have practical implications so that a spiritual purpose can eventually take place. Is that that clear? Is that that making sense? There are some things that God says that just have practical wisdom as God's setting up a nation so he can make sure the nation survives in kind of a pre-technological world, and God in his infinite wisdom gives the nation of Israel some very functional, practical things as he's setting up this nation that will help them to thrive and survive as a nation, practically, functionally, so that eventually the Messiah can come through that nation. And that's, that's the spiritual element of this. And he's going to raise up a Messiah. He's going to raise up a Savior through them there in that way. And so you think about this for a moment. A lot of the passages as you move through uh, the Torah here and you look at the Pentateuch, these first five books of the Bible, you'll see a lot uh, just talking about, you know, just hygiene. Like, why does God care about hygiene, you know? Like what does that have to do with anything and how to take care of waste? Well, think about our own history. In the 14th century, there was something that hit the world. It was called the bubonic plague. It's believed to have caused the death that swept through Asia, Europe, Africa in the 14th century. It killed an estimated 50% of the European nations. 50% wiped out basically, from what history can tell, through a lack of proper hygiene. So in a pre-technological world where they didn't maybe have some of the science that we had today, God, in his infinite wisdom, wanting to preserve the nation of Israel. In his infinite wisdom, he gives them a lot of just things to, here's, here's, here's ways to stay clean. Here's ways to stay healthy. 
Here's ways to form this government, this nation in a way that'll, that'll just keep you physically healthy. It, it has very real practical, physical implications to it. Why would he want to keep the nation of Israel healthy? Why would he want them to be in such a way that they would be strong as a nation? What's he going to send through this nation? He's going to send the Messiah. He wants them to be healthy. All right? The last thing we need is all of a sudden the black plague of death sweeping through uh, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel. So almost like as a, if I can use this word, like an overprotective father. He is like, I'm preserving this nation so that whether it be in hygiene, whether it be in whether it be mentally, emotionally, physically, I'm setting up a nation that will allow it to thrive in this way. What happens sometimes is we start to equate those things with spiritual things. And, and that's where those outside the church, they don't get it. They, they see the Bible as just ritualism. And if you're not obeying all the rituals of the Bible, then you must not be a real Christian. And you see with a proper lens as you're able to interpret, no, this is given specifically to the nation of Israel. In fact, many of these things in wisdom we can do, but they don't have any effect on our relationship with God. Did you see the difference? Yes, it's wisdom. Yes, if you wash your hands, that'll probably be good for you too. But whether or not you wash your hands after you use the restroom doesn't affect your relationship with God. That's, that's the point. That'll affect your relationship with me, but not... But with God, no. And, and that's the distinctions that we have to understand because then it all gets like mixed, matched, and confusing. And does this have something to do with my, how I am supposed to relate to God? I, I, I think they're wise things. I think they're things that probably we can observe and wisdom would tell us this is good and this is healthy and this is great. I'm not, I'm not saying throw out the baby with the bathwater, but I'm, what I'm saying is the moment we start to equate those things with how we relate to our Heavenly Father, we're, we're heading down a road of confusion. Okay? This is very, very vital to begin to understand if we are going to properly interpret the Word of God, all right? Um, what's interesting is even under this law, as you move through, what was awesome is even under the law of Moses, God gave this nation of Israel, the children of Israelite, mercy. You say, how? Through what he called the atonement. This, this is awesome because God, even though he's giving them these strict dietary laws and he's giving these strict hygiene laws and he's giving all these rules that he's going to set up the nation of Israel, even as he's moving through all of these things, he's giving them opportunity for atonement. He gives them opportunities there to, 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 to make even this right before him. And so when they would sacrifice to the Lord, literally as a precursor picture, a symbol of the ultimate sacrifice that God would one day make on their behalf, literally through that ritual for the Old Testament nation of Israel, when they would do that, they would literally find mercy from God. Through this symbol, through this ritual, they would demonstrate their faith in God in this way. And so when they were practicing atonement, when they were worshiping God in the way that he described, and he, they would go through these rituals of sorts. Literally, God that, saw that as an expression of their faith, and he showed mercy on them for their transgressions. Now, there came times when they would get proud in their heart, 
when they would stop worshiping God. They'd stop, they'd stop these practices of atonement and all of a sudden they'd go to worshiping pagan gods and no longer would they obey the laws of Moses and no more would they practice the atonement. And then what would happen usually? It wasn't long before, man, their, their society broke down. It wouldn't be long before another nation would come and take them captive. And, and the entire Old Testament is like this moving back and forth between you know, rejecting the laws of Moses, not, for, not being involved in the rituals of atonement, not experiencing mercy. And so their societies would break down. As the societies would break down, all of a sudden the other nations would come, take them captive. Eventually they would go back to atonement. They'd confess. They'd say, we'll get back to the laws of Moses. We'll run our society the way you told us to run our society. We'll be what you want us to be here in those particular ways. And, and then God would show mercy and forgiveness and he would heal their land. Now, I, I think it's interesting to note as you kind of move through this here to some degree that nothing in the Old Covenant, the law of Moses, speaks of eternal salvation. There, there is no mention, as you read through this, in fact, as you go through like uh, Deuteronomy 28 and some other passages, what you begin to find is that if they kept these commands, God's promise of blessing was usually physical in nature. As you read the list, I'll take care of your lands. I'll multiply your cattle. I'll keep you healthy as a people. Is basically, the blessings for doing all these physical things were basically physical blessings. There was no eternal salvation attached to it for going to heaven. It's not like if they did all these laws that somehow that's how they got to heaven. We're going to talk about this later. They got to heaven the same way we do, by faith in the Messiah. We look back in faith to the Messiah. They look forward in faith to the Messiah. And that is how they experience eternal salvation. This law of Moses had nothing to do with their spiritual state. Why? Because it was given to them as the nation of Israel to preserve them so God, through them, could give the world a gift. The gift of Jesus Christ. Are, you, are, are some of us tracking with this? <laughs> All right. Uh, some, of, some of us are. If you have questions, let's talk about it in the lobby. I'm, I know I'm starting to lose a couple of you. you know, sometimes you don't realize I, I can see you just like you can see me. <laughs> And uh, so I, I realize that's happening right now, okay? We're, 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 I'm doing my very best to kind of uh, track along, but I realize this is, this is, this is not like, you know, you, know, you know, third grade Sunday school Bible lesson right here, okay? I'm just trying to lay some foundation so we can go somewhere very practical, very inspirational, very what I would call equipping in the weeks to come. But we've got to kind of lay this foundation uh, as we sometimes move through it. So who is it for? Originally and specifically, the law of Moses, the old covenant found in the Torah, was to the what? The nation of Israel. Israel. Okay, so we're understanding that. Now, who is the law for today? This is a good question. Does the law have a place today? This is, this is really interesting. Let's just go to the Bible for this one, all right? 1 Timothy chapter number 1, verse 9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. Who's righteous? The Bible declares that those who are in Christ, who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, they get to experience and receive all the righteousness of Christ. Those who are saved, those who have committed their lives to Christ, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, God says, because of what he did on your behalf, you have been declared righteous. If you're saved, if you place your faith and trust in Christ, this is you. Knowing this, the law is not made for a righteous man. 
but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners. We looked at this in our identity centers and in our identity series. We're not sinners in Christ anymore. We are saints. If you've placed your faith and trust in Christ and experienced his whole forgiveness, you're not a sinner anymore. You're a saint who might sin. But there's a big difference. Okay? That, who is the law now for? It's not for the righteous. It's not for the sinner. All right? I mean, it is, it is for the sinner. It's for the ungodly, the disobedient, and the lawless. All right? Galatians chapter number 5, verse 18 continues it. It talks through, what, it, what does it say? But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. All right? If, if, you, if you have Christ in you, if you have his Spirit, if you have his Spirit indwelling you, you're not under this Old Testament law anymore. You're not under the Old Covenant anymore. Let's keep reading. Romans chapter number 6, verse 14. Why? It says, ye are not under the law, but under what? Grace. Not under the law of Moses anymore. You're under grace. That's what the Bible teaches. So, functionally and practically, who is the law for? While originally and specifically, it was for the nation of Israel, currently and generally, it is for unbelievers. It is for unbelievers. Um, This is why, personally, I'm very much okay with having the Ten Commandments posted in public places. Is it so when I walk by, I can look at those and say, okay, I got to try harder at those things. Yeah, if I'm going to be a good person, if I'm going to be righteous, I got to do those ten things. Is that the purpose of it? As we're going to see here in the coming weeks, no. The purpose of those Ten Commandments is to show a godless, sinful nation that they have no hope in attaining unto the law. But that law begins to crush them. It convicts them and shows them that no matter how hard they try, they will never meet up to that standard. And in doing so, push them toward their only hope, which is who? Jesus. That is the purpose of the law today. To push men to the person of Jesus Christ. That is it. So today we got through what is the old covenant. Who was the old covenant for? The old covenant was the laws of Moses. Who was the covenant for? Originally, specifically for the, for the nation of Israel. Who is it for today? Currently and generally, it is for unbelievers. This was part one. We'll take an opportunity to continue part two of what is the covenant, the old covenant, and we'll continue to move through this series. And then eventually we'll get to what is the new covenant, who is it for, what is its purpose, and we'll kind of move through it in this way. I want to say this. Thank you so much for hanging with me. I appreciate it. I realize this is, this is deeper and more intense than some passages, but I'm trying to lay a foundation as we move forward here in the days ahead. And, and I want to say this as we close. If you're here today and you see, you feel the weight of the law that's written on your hearts, the reality is there might not have been a time where you've come to faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you feel the, the weight of your sin and you feel the burden of your sin and you feel the shame of your sin and it's weighing down on you, that's what the law does. The law convicts. 
the law is that burden that shows you you need help and the help you'll have is in the person of Jesus Christ. Can I say this? If there's never been a time where you personally have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone to be your savior, then you are struggling and you are dying under the weight of the law and it's producing stress and shame and guilt and conviction and here's what that all that's supposed to lead you to it's to lead you to a place to remind you that no matter how hard you try you'll never measure up and it's only in the person of Jesus Christ that you can have that weight forgiven that you can be cleansed from the guilt the shame the consequences the penalty of sin for eternity if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ that's what we're all about we want to be a place where people can know the liberty they can know the life that is theirs in Jesus if there's never been a time where you've personally placed your faith in Christ you know it's our prayer as a church that today would be that day that you would recognize that you're a sinner in the eyes of God and that it is only through the forgiveness of Christ and Christ alone that you can find forgiveness, both for abundant life here on earth and eternal life forevermore. And that is a promise given to you, not by doing your best to try to live up to the law. That promise is yours by simple faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Have you placed your faith in Christ? Has there been a time where you personally have trusted him to be your personal Lord and Savior? And if not, what a wonderful day it would be today. I'd love to talk with you in the lobby. If there's an opportunity and you've never made that commitment to Christ, you've never had your sins forgiven, what a wonderful opportunity it is. Yes, the weight of the law, the weight of sin bears down upon you to show you how much you need Jesus. And the Bible says, oh, it reminds us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.